Today we'll be talking about comedy during the time of COVID, and we'll be talking about CBD or cannabis for seizures and in other parts of medicine. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Doctor Asif Doja. This is the Doctor of Laughs. Not not a real doctor, Ali Hassan. How are you? And every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment and question him about that. And then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Mm -hmm. So we'll get started with our topics in a second. But this is our first episode, Ali. Maybe we should tell the listeners a bit about each of us. So why don't you go ahead? Okay. All right. Sure. Well, I've known you since you were born. That's the first thing people should know. Childhood buddies. Long time. Childhood buds. Asif used to cry a lot. Dr. Doja used to cry a lot as a child. I'm going to throw that out there. Maybe we'll explore that in one of our episodes, why certain children cry so much. I hail from uh, New Brunswick. That's where I was born. That's where we met Asif's family. Raised my entire life in Montreal. Now based in Toronto, I work in uh, radio on the CBC, which is our national broadcaster here in Canada. I'm a stand-up comedian. That is my bread and butter. I'm an actor. And then I, um, you know, I got a book coming out. I'm an author. My dad would be rolling in his grave. Oh, my God. No, no, not would be. He yeah. is dead, so he is rolling in his grave. Pardon me. <laughs> Your late father was, of course, an author and a uh, poet. Yeah. And so, yeah, he would be disappointed. He would be. Yeah, no, true, no. But, he, uh, and he was a teacher, and I'm also teaching stand-up comedy as we speak right now at a great Canadian university. So, I mean, this is not what my father saw for me, right? He looked at me and goes, you, you're a bum. You don't read enough. You don't work hard enough. And now look at this. Look at it. Ah! Suck on that, Dad. All right. What do you got, Asif? Who are you and what do you stand for? My name is Asif Doja. So I um, grew up, actually, I was born in Montreal and grew up most of my life in Ottawa, Canada, the capital of Canada, and uh, moved around a bit. I lived in a couple of different places. Eventually, I went to medical school and became a pediatric neurologist. And so what that is, is I see patients Children uh, with neurologic problems, everybody who I meet who's not a doctor says, oh, so you do surgery? And then they say, uh, then I say, no, you know, I, I don't. I, and then they say, well, what do you do then if you don't do surgery? Mm-hmm. So we treat patients for medical management of, of uh, various problems. And we're going to be talking uh, the course of the podcast on different episodes about different some of the different neurologic things that, that we see. And currently, I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I'm uh, married with two kids. Great kids. Good people. Good wife as well. Now, let me ask you this. They're also disappointed in me, though. So, you know, we're, we're on the same track good. here. This incessant childhood crying that you used to do, is that why you went into uh, neurological problems of the child yeah i want to comfort the children <laughs> right i can relate to the children getting uh, needles i would cry because you know i didn't get dessert or something like that so yeah. but i can relate i can relate to it's, these kids it's really hilarious to me like if there was ever a guy who didn't need to cry about something it was doctor young doctor asif doja we'd go to asif's house we drive from montreal to ottawa you had all the cereals, the Frankenberry and the, what was it? Boo Berry and I don't know. Boo Berry. We had all the different all berries. All the crazy. In my house, we would get every four months, my mother would bring honeycomb and my sister and I would finish it in 24 hours, an entire box. 
And then she'd be like, this is why I don't bring sweet cereal. Like, no, you should bring it. This is why we eat it so fast because we never know when it's going to come again. Anyway, your house was a paradise. This is like milkshakes, amazing desserts. Your mother was a terrific cook. It was like a vacation for us. And, you know, you go there and this guy's crying. What's your problem, kid? Everything's going to be fine. I mean, listen, we will be talking about the uh, diabetes, which these yes. no, excess of sugar doesn't cause diabetes. Everyone who's listening to this, it doesn't. But South Asians cause diabetes. Huh? We grow it <laughs> like in a farm. That's true. That's true. That's true. There is a, definitely a genetic component for sure. Well, that's good. So today we're going to be talking about CBD and cannabis use in medicine. But before that, I'm going to pick Ali's topic for him. Yeah, let's do it. Ali, what I want to talk to you about today is comedy during the time of COVID, right? And comedy is such an interactive medium, right? You really the audience seems like that that's a necessity for a performing comedy, but that's been removed in this uh, time of COVID. So I want to talk to you a bit about that. Uh, and remember, we're talking about you performing in places where people actually, we're not talking about Sturgis, South Dakota. We're talking about places where people actually respect <laughs> social distancing and not super spreader events, people who are wearing masks and, and people are really trying on one hand, trying to be safe, but other hand, people still need this entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. So really, how do you do comedy during COVID? Well, I'll be completely honest with you. I feel like looking up Sturgis, South Dakota and seeing what's all going on there. And then maybe there's a safe way that I can get there and perform. That's how bad things are that I'm like, Sturgis doesn't sound so bad. Comedy on Zoom stinks. It absolutely stinks. If you meet somebody who says, I, I rather like comedy on Zoom, this is really what I was always hoping stand-up comedy would be. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's just some, some wayward comedian who got into this business for all the wrong reasons. The whole point is that interaction, as you said, with the audience and that that back and forth. You are in a dialogue with the audience. Now, a lot of times you wish they'd, you know, certain members of the audience would shut their dumb mouths. That's a different thing. That's somebody who's heckling or participating in an uh, unwelcome way. But it's a dialogue in sort of the unspoken sort of like you give me the laughs and I continue to give you the comedy and, and the performance. And then if you don't give me the laughs, you know, I understand that I have to pivot and I have to, you know, make some move. I have to address what's happened. I have to go on to a different joke. I have to realize, oh, you didn't like this. That means you probably won't like this, this or this, but you might like this. It's in effect, a, you know, an unspoken dialogue that's happening back and forth. Yelling into the abyss of Zoom and not knowing if people are really enjoying it or not is uh, it's not a whole lot of fun. You know, the only time I've really had fun in a, in a Zoom comedy show was when everybody's cameras were on and I just kind of went around and roasted what people were wearing and their backgrounds and their homes. I just made fun of their safe spaces, which is sounds like I'm a monster for doing that. But I don't know what to tell you. Some of these people are, are living quite well and I got to uh, make fun of it. Or not well, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, there but is that as well. Did you, are there rules for like these Zoom comedy shows? I, have, I must admit, I haven't attended one or anything like that. I get enough Zoom in my daily life with, you know, meeting with patients and with meetings from work and things like that and conferences. So are there rules? Every show will have a different rule. I mean, I did one 
over the weekend where the woman who produced it said, I'm just going to invite 25 people. I'm going to keep it at 25 and I'm going to ask everyone to leave their mics on. She is a performer from the sketch improv and clown world. Like she's very performative. So for her, that was very important. She goes, instead of having a hundred people and, you know, giving the comedians a few hundred bucks each, what's more important to, to her. And, and I would say to me as well, is that we hear the laughter, you know, that we, we, we have that interaction. And it was good. You know, I did have some back and forth with people. And th- this is my life. I, I get a little bit tired at night. I get a little bit tired. And then I do comedy. And I just get five more hours of, of energy out of it. The adrenaline starts going. And I, I really did feel it, that interaction with, with other human beings. And it was a pretty white audience. But there was one woman, Cheryl. Cheryl was my one brown partner, and I was able to talk directly to Cheryl. And there was this, this this British guy is doing tech, and he and his partner were about, I would say, 15 feet apart in the in his basement. And so I was able to be like, hey, Luke, are you social distancing? Or is that just the British way of showing affection <laughs> to each other? You know what I mean? And then he he got into it and it was it was great. And I honestly did get a rush. And so when you have these sort of corporate gigs, that's just like, okay, just do your comedy for 30 minutes and you're just looking at the green light on your laptop and you have no idea who's there. It's all just a performance. You don't know any of the audience members and you don't hear their laughter. I don't know. It's not fun. It can be a paycheck. You know, people still have to make a living and I don't disparage anyone for doing the shows. But if you're saying that it's a great time, I'd be interested in speaking to you and, and, and finding out who you are as a human being and how you find that fun. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I'm curious about that, those corporate gigs. I mean, is it just you think these corporations are just hoping for anything like to entertain their work from home colleagues. Yes. Is that what, I think that what, plays that a big part of it. Yeah. Sure, sure. I uh, I did a corporate gig in December for a like a multinational company. So you know, some people would have probably had to tune into the show at like four in the morning, and I'm probably sure they were like, I don't need comedy in my life that badly. But this is a place with like offices all across the world. So you know, as a comedian. There's a there's a challenge in that uh, performing live to like a multicultural, multilingual audience that has all different interests. I like that challenge. How am I going to pick jokes that the all these people can relate to and connect with? And it can go wrong as well, but there's a fun in that. But just doing it into the abyss, it sort of takes out the challenge of comedy and you're just relying on old material that's always worked and you're hoping for the best and yeah, it's not great from the comedian's end. I and, and, you know, your question is about what the motivation of that company is. I can only assume. I can only assume they're trying to create some normalcy. Here's our annual Christmas party. Uh, some comedy right. at 11 a.m. for all our employees yeah. who we love. And then at various times across the world. And maybe they tune in. Maybe they don't. But I was told to make it sort of family friendly. People will be tuning in with their kids and all that stuff from their home. For many of them, it's a first day of Christmas holidays. But yeah, didn't didn't do much for me. I hope it did something for them. So that's basically they're getting you instead of like a dinner in a corporate ballroom with like you know chicken Kiev and uh, creme brulee for dessert, right? Exactly. I'm uh, Ali creme brulee Hassan over here. But imagine the pressure. Imagine the pressure. It's like yeah, I can't compete with what your the parties you usually have. 
I, it, it reminded me of, this was like a mild, a mildly traumatic moment in my life that I always think about. There was a dentist who hired me as, the, as a chef to, you know, I have a background as a chef. I didn't mention that off the top. This, chef, this, this dentist hired me and said, I want you to cater a Christmas party for all my staff. She had a large dentist office in my home. I'm like, great. Sounds good. Anyway, I get there. She's like, can you just sort of stay in the kitchen and then I'll announce you. You'll come out when everybody gets here. I was like, okay, that's weird, but fine. And then she announces me. She said it in French. Je vous présente votre cadeau de Noël à tout le monde. I I'm now present you your Christmas gift this year, Chef Ali Hassan. And I came out of the kitchen and the disappointment on people's face. I cannot <laughs> quite put it into words what I experienced in that moment. Because people are like, this idiot? I can buy frozen samosas from the grocery. What I could really use is 500 extra dollars around Christmas. I don't need that. And that was just the sentiment. 18 people just looked at me like, gee, thanks. And I was like, oh, God, I did not know that this was how the setup was going to be. So, you know, you kind of feel like that. You kind of feel like, hey, man, I hope you're getting something out of this. But I don't want to be your Christmas gift any more than you want me to be your Christmas gift. So let's make the most out of a... Out of a weird situation. <laughs> I guess changing gears a bit, what about not Zoom, but in-person comedy? So, like, you have you done sets at comedy clubs? And, I don't know, do you feel safe? Do the patrons feel safe? What about, you know, the laughter? Is that going to be <laughs> spewing more COVID? I right. Mean, it's probably, if you know, the mask situation in, in the places you've been to. Yeah. So, you know, every place poses its own challenges, I was lucky enough to be invited to the Winnipeg Comedy Festival to host a show in October of 2020. And then in December of 2020, Just for Laughs put on a sort of comedy night in Canada thing that'll be aired. But in each of those places, crowds were small, crowds were distanced, and crowds were masked. All of those things don't make for typically great comedy. So it's an uphill battle there too. It's, it's, it's great. You don't see any of us complaining because we are, you know, at the end of the day, what, what you have in those situations are you have an audience desperate to hear comedy, desperate for laughs, and you have uh, performers who are desperate to perform. So it's a really good, it's a really good, mm -hmm. you, you don't get that all the time, right? As you, right. you know, disparagingly said about uh, Sturgis, which I know nothing about, but like, you, you know, there are those audiences where, Somebody comes on and people got their arms arms crossed. They're like, all right, what do you got, bud? Entertain us, clown. You know what I mean? It's none of that. None of that. These are people who are like, oh, my God, we get to see live comedy. And we're like, oh, my God, we get to perform the art and the craft that we love so much. So there was there was joy there. But it's tough. You know, the, ma the, the sound of laughter is muffled by the masks and people have these spaces in between them. And you've learned, in my case, 14 years of like you know, being at comedy clubs where they try to densely pack people in one section in the front of the club so that you can get maximum, you know, laughter and entertainment. As I said, it's a dialogue. So you want people to be close up, giving you that energy and you give them back the energy. So it, every place has its own challenges, but uh, if it comes down to it, I, I would always 
always rather perform in person. And all these places, whether it's a festival or a club, are going above and beyond to make sure people are safe, whether that's comedians in the green room and having a limit of two people in the green room, whether that's having a glass shield up between audience and performer, because it's not only the laughter spewing, it's us yelling into a microphone or probably ejecting various molecules from our mouths. <laughs> I don't know. You're the doctor. Stuff's coming out of our face, right? So yeah, no, they, they do a good job at making people feel safe. But yeah, there's a concern about like, will this industry die for a little while before it comes back in certain, in certain uh, arenas and, and avenues and um, uh, markets? By the way, Will, as an aside about Sturgis, South Dakota, Sturgis, South Dakota, every year a bicycle, not bicycle, mo- motorcycle rally. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you're going to get, you're going to get shivved in the neck by a motorcyclist. He called, this, this brown guy in Canada called us a bicycle rally. Let's go kill him. That's it. You're dead. This is our last episode. So is a motorcycle rally occurs every year in the summer in Sturgis, South Dakota. And what happened this year is there was a huge influx of people from out of state who came into state for this rally. And there was concerts by bands and things like that. Hundreds of thousands of people actually there in terms of influx of people into South Dakota. And this was, as you can imagine, a super Super spreader event. event. And I totally remember now. Now I know why I vaguely know what Sturgis is. It was that whole thing. Yeah. And it taxed the, the healthcare system in South Dakota. And so that was that reference. But, you know, and I can understand hundreds of thousands of people coming into a small place, probably not the best thing. But have you looked at other methods, like not in a comedy club, but yeah, outside? What, what have you, what interesting things you've done with regards to that? Another thing that I was able to do uh, last summer, Just for Laughs is a massive uh, international festival, one of the largest, if not the largest in North America. Maybe the Edinburgh Festival is is larger as far as a comedy festival, but Just for Laughs is huge, brings together the best of French and English comedians across the world. And it is in in halls and, and clubs and all kinds of indoor venues. And that got replaced by two nights of shows at a drive-in. And again, I mean, on paper, this is an awful idea. On paper, you're like, wait, no ceiling? You know, as a comedian, you learn that the higher the ceilings, the worse it is for comedy because the sound dissipates. It goes up. You want low ceilings. That's ideal. You want to echo and come back down to the crowd. You also learn that I shouldn't be on a stage that's 10 feet high with the audience 20 feet away from me. That's where they begin. You also learn that you probably shouldn't be doing comedy outdoors in the daytime and while the sun is still up. <laughs> you also learn that, hey, man, if you can hear the hum of the highway right behind you, that's probably not a good environment for comedy, right? So all these things on paper were a bad idea. And then you got started doing the show and it was just fantastic. I don't know what to tell you. First of all, Right behind, when I say right behind me, I mean, I took pictures for friends to show the sign for the Dakari. You could see it from the audience. You could see and you could hear the, I could hear the highway. The Dakari Expressway is a horrible auto route in Montreal. Notoriously bad news, always has traffic. Whatever time of day is always either construction or traffic or accidents. It's just such a bad vibe. And I was like, wow, this is this is how this is. We're right there. I can hear the hum. I can hear trucks honking right there. 
so then I addressed it and I did, I don't know, I, I guess I had a 15 minute set and I did five minutes of it on the Dickery and how this is worse <laughs> than any human heckler, the Dickery behind me, heckling me every second. And I talked about how I wasted minutes of my life on that expressway, trying to get from my home to the future shop where I worked for a couple of years. And it was great. The audience was like, wow, this is not material this guy has ever done anywhere. This is obviously happening right now in the here and now. And it was fun. I got to sort of vent and, and be funny at the same time. And so if you could do a drive-in as a, as a performer of any kind, if you have any reluctance towards that, I would say give it a try. I would say the drive-in still has something to offer. We were also worried people would be honking their horns. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do they honk oh, their horns? We were, I was like, oh, man, these guys are going to squirt windshield wiper liquid out of their cars instead of laugh. It's really going to suck. But actually, Just for Laughs runs a, runs a professional environment, and uh, all the people were told, do not honk. Please do not honk. And so, yeah, you couldn't hear a ton of laughter from the stage, but every comedian would watch the, the comedian prior to them or watch the entire show. And every comedian would be like, they were laughing. They were really enjoying themselves because you can hear it when you're on the ground standing, you know, close to the cars. And it was great, man. People had lawn chairs out. They're like sitting on their cars or in the back of their pickup trucks and all this stuff. And again, people anxious for comedy and they, and they got it. Was there like an alternative comic there who like on purpose as part of the comedy act misunderstood and was thought that they were supposed to be like their audience was the cars, not the people? <laughs> How funny would that be? Sir, can you shut up? You're actually disturbing my audience, the the car. Yeah. Hey, there's a Porsche. How are you, Porsche? Huh? Porsche, you good? You doing good? There were some nice cars in the audience. No, that's uh, that's very ridiculous, absurdist comedy, and uh, nobody was hired to do it that day. So, you know, you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting, which is that you called attention to this situation with you by this highway and things like that. So when you're doing comedy, whether it's Zoom or in the comedy clubs or a drive-in, are you referencing COVID? Do people want to talk about this and hear about this? Or they're like, God, like, I, I just, I just need you to talk about something else. I'm sick of hearing about this. It's an extremely pertinent question. And it's been a source of, I'm not going to say it's not like a, a source of huge conflict, but it is a big back and forth between comedians and then the bigger producers of comedy shows, such as the CBC, such as just for laughs because they don't know when they're going to air these sets. Mm -hmm. So they're like, what if we air it last next summer, you know, and then you're still talking about COVID. But in our perspective, it's like, do you think like, we still talk about the great depression. Okay. It's 2021. We like, people are going to remember this. This thing's not going away. Like that's the perspective of the comedians. The other thing from the comedians perspective is when we started doing comedy in the pandemic, you couldn't be like, yeah, my wife, she always uh, gets on my uh, on my case because I dropped my clothes in the wrong laundry bin. Who gives a <laughs> shit about your wife, dude? There's a global pandemic happening. You know what I mean? So we were doing material that was catered to the right now. We were writing, many of us, I shouldn't say all of us, but many of us were doing. And that has been the, the, the comedy that is, is the best received right now. That's that's the stuff that people are laughing at most. When I talk about how my glasses fog up when I wear a mask, people with glasses are dying. They're like, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you for addressing the fact that we're walking around grocery stores like zombies 
picking up what we hope is is bananas, but is probably Japanese eggplant and bringing it home. <laughs> and then our children have to slice eggplant into their cereal for the week. You know, like a, these jokes really, really land with people uh, talking about the elbow bump, everybody elbow bumps, elbow bumps. And I made a joke about the elbow. You keep wanting to touch my elbow. The thing I've been sneezing and coughing into <laughs> for four years. Why is everyone desperate? And I don't know, man, this is the stuff that's like, it's so present. It's so current. It's so of our time that people really resonate with it. And, but, but the, the producers are like, no, can you do your joke about, you know, your all inclusive trip to Mexico? And you're like, I don't think people want to hear that about the time I went to Mexico. And I don't know if I want to think about the time I want to, that's going to just hurt me to think about. So it is a, it is a real back and forth and a bit of a struggle, to encourage people, you know, uh, producers to, 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 to accept our, our COVID material. But in my opinion, as far as audiences goes, it's the stuff that lands the best. And we all say we want to forget. We all say we want to forget about COVID. But as far as laughter goes, that's been the stuff that, that resonates the best. All right, buddy, we are halfway through this show. Let's flip things around. And let me ask you about stuff. I like that at the beginning you go, I ask Ali questions. And then he grills me, made me look like a goddamn monster. Huh? Like I have no <laughs> class. But I do want to ask you about CBD. Now, a couple of reasons here. Number one is CBD, obviously, you know, we are watching, especially in Canada, the prolif proliferation of all these boutique, you know, marijuana shops, I can't, oh, dispensaries. I forgot the word. That's how connected <laughs> I am to this culture. All these dispensaries are popping up. Like we are looking at, we used to have a bank in our neighborhood. My bank closed the location and it has become this, uh, this dispensary drive-through dispensary. Actually, the bank was a drive-through. I don't know if you can get the, uh, your drugs out of a window, but anyway, and also, I'm not sure, I don't know how I feel about calling it drugs anymore. I, I mean, some people may say it is, but but this is this is the other point. The things that marijuana, cannabis in particular, can do is kind of boggles the layperson's mind. Now, my comedian buddies who take CBD, their description often is, it shuts the noise out. It mm -hmm. shuts the noise out. Okay, I get that. I understand it. Then I read about these medical case studies and I'm confused about how it goes from shutting the noise out to also shutting down epilepsy in kids or reversing uh, childhood cancers. So what is the unbelievable or potentially untapped potential of, of CBD and, and, and cannabis oils? It's a couple of things. First of all, if something ever sounds too good to be true, whether it's in medicine or not, it probably is too good to okay. be true. But I do get asked this question every single day of my professional life. It happens every day. I guarantee it. And so the reason is because it's very pertinent to one particular part of medicine, which is part that I see a lot, which is epilepsy, as you said, in childhood. So we got to backtrack a bit to how CBD kind of became so popular and prevalent. And is this case of Charlotte Figgy. I don't know if you've sure Char Charlotte's Web is uh, right. They were right my I, because that's a book I read in my child. Probably the first book I ever read, and then this case was why was it called Charlotte's Web? 
I'll get into that in a second. So if you look at Charlotte, what happened was this is a, a young lady. What what age are we talking about? Sorry, you're getting to it. Yeah, age of two was diagnosed with Dravet syndrome, which is a very specific kind of epilepsy. It's a genetic kind of epilepsy. So it's an inherited form of epilepsy. And you have very difficult to control seizures. Sometimes the seizures can affect one part of the body with shaking that can go on half an hour, an hour longer, and multiple different kinds of seizure types. Very difficult to control. And so she was diagnosed with this at age two. And at about age five, her family documented that she could have up to 300 full body shaking seizures in a week. So was not doing very well. And so had difficulty with speaking, some problems with her development, and the family obviously were looking at, at different things. And, and this is one of the key things about the case. They tried all the regular medications, and they didn't work. She was still having lots of seizures. So I think it's important, and this is one of the main things I wanted to get across, is it is important for doctors when your regular medicines and treatments aren't working, you have to think outside the box at some point. Mm-hmm. So. The family did some research and they thought about and they heard some cases about people being treated with cannabis. And so they researched it and they heard about a group of people called the Stanley Brothers in Colorado. And they were developing a cannabis plants and they have different strains, right? And when you look at cannabis, there's two components to it, right? There's the THC, mm-hmm. which is what's called the psychoactive ingredient. And that's what gets people hot. That's, that's the part what people that I want. like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody condones drug use on this. No, of course podcast, not. So you know. Of course not. I don't condone munchies, and I get the munchies uh, way too aggressively. That's a medical condition of its own. So I can't smoke a lot. But yeah, I, I, I feel it. I feel the vibe. I feel the THC. And then CBD is that other part, right? Right. So CBD is the other part of cannabis and really doesn't have any psychoactive properties. And what happened is they made a strain, which was very high in CBD when they were trying to make their different strains, the Stanley Brothers. And they actually called that one hippies disappointment Hmm. because it didn't have any psychoactive properties, which is what people want who buy cannabis. So they didn't really know what to do with it, but they had it. So uh, Charlotte's family researched this and contacted the Stanley brothers. And at first they're like, you know, we don't really want to get involved in this, you know, giving a cannabis product to a child. They were very hesitant about it, but eventually the family kind of persisted and they gave her this low THC, high CBD strain. And she responded extremely well. And as the hours went by after giving it to her, the family knows that she didn't have any seizures. And, and this and, was at and, that two, three years of age? This was, this was I think, around year? age uh, five or so. Oh, okay, started. so they'd been suffering for a number of years. Right. They're probably at their wits end at this point, ready to try anything, I guess. That's right. Yeah, okay. And so things really blew up when Dr. Sanjay Gupta from CNN did a documentary called Weed. That was in 2013 and kind of brought this attention to to CBD use and Charlotte's case specifically. So the compound was named Charlotte's Web in her honor Mm. from the Stanley Brothers. And that's if you search Charlotte's Web, you'll find this compound from the Stanley Brothers online. And that's when everything exploded, especially in the childhood epilepsy route. And everybody wanted to use it. So they were not looking into that before, even though Sanjay Gupta knew enough about it and there was enough for him to make a documentary about it. There wasn't a race from pharmaceutical companies to kind of figure out this 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 world of 
not at that point. There were some researchers doing it, and if you listen to those research, they're like researchers. They said nobody would take our calls, and no, and the CBD manufacturers wanted to get involved in research, and nobody cared. But that documentary really there are a lot of, some other factors as well. But that documentary really kind of put things on the map because now patients were coming to doctors saying, "Yep, I want you to prescribe CBD." Mm-hmm. Eventually, so there were studies that have been done because. The reason why studies have to be done is because, and this is another point we always have to remember, anecdotes aren't evidence. And we hear this all the time, like your comedy friends, you know, this is amazing. This helps me focus and concentrate and shut out the noise. Okay, it works for you like that. But A, does it work for other people? Is it a placebo effect? How can we quantify how much it's helping you or not helping you? You have to do those tests because if you don't, they're just anecdotes. Because again, just because something works for me and maybe it does work for me and I'll never discount the anecdotal evidence that people and patients bring to me. Mm -hmm. But in order to be able to generalize it to everybody else, you have to do a study. So they did studies. And it's important to remember the studies were done on a pharmaceutical grade CBD product. It's made by a company called GW Pharma, and it's called Epidiolex. And these studies were very well done studies done by lots of leading people in the U.S. and elsewhere. And it did show that in certain populations, so they looked at patients with Dravet syndrome, which is what Charlotte had, and patients with some other types of epilepsy, very specific kinds of epilepsies, often genetic in origin, that it did work. And it, it did work probably as well as trying another anticonvulsant, in, in my opinion, if you read the studies. So it definitely does work. Okay, but let me ask you a question in that, in that right space, because this, this leads to, and I'm, this might be completely uh, incorrect to, to even uh, think this, but... I just don't know enough about marijuana growing, but my thoughts are knowing what I know about grapes for wine and and, and other crops, how can you ensure or can you ensure what you grow in 2019 summer, that is this thing that is part of a massive trial and you test and all that, how can you ensure that that'll be the exact same product in 2022 summer? Like, does weed not, is it not ever changing? Or once you sort of make it in greenhouses and all that, that it it can be completely controlled? Yeah, and that's actually one of the concerns that I have. So Epidiolex is a pharmaceutical-grade CBD made by this company. Because it's a pharmaceutical product and is manufactured in the U.S. and, and approved by the FDA there, they have to follow certain standards. In other words, they have to have a minimal amount of THC. It's very hard to get zero THC in a lot of these compounds, but very minimal, a certain amount of CBD, and it has to be the same from batch to batch, right? That's that's how drugs can, if you can't show that, you cannot get a drug brought to market really anywhere in the world. If you look at a place like Canada, where we don't have access to this drug, it's not been allowed by Health Canada, our government agency, which is the same as the FDA in the U.S., So what families have to do is they have to go to private growers and get uh, this high CBD content cannabis. But these people who manufacture it don't have the same quality criteria as a pharmaceutical company. I'm not saying that they, they do or don't. I don't really know how they look at their quality assurance, but there's no mandate for them right. to have the same quality. Right. And so I had so in Canada, everybody has to get this CBD product for patients with seizures from these manufacturers. And so what happened, I'll give you a real life example, one of my patients having seizures every day, 
definitely was having seizures. There's no doubt in my mind and went on CBD and ended up having no more seizures. Amazing. Like it definitely worked. There's no question in my mind that it worked. Was that your recommendation that they go on CBD or the parents sort of took lead on this? Usually it's, it's a, it's a bit of both. Usually what we say for myself and my colleagues is once you've tried a couple anticonvulsants, once you've tried one or two anti-seizure medications, your chance of being seizure free after trying a third or fourth is extremely low, probably 5% or less okay. chance of so having assuming the first two don't work. Right. We start looking. In- That's right. And and so th- then it's a joint decision. And we I have physicians who I, I work with who are, are very knowledgeable about cannabis who I'll refer them to. So again, it's usually a mutual decision. That's what it was in this case. The problem was in this patient, after a month, the seizures came back. And the question is, is it just because the medicine or the cannabis stopped working? That happens. And even with regular seizure medicines, it happens. Or was the problem that even if they're using the same manufacturer, the composition is slightly different and then it doesn't work. So that's that's one of the issues that comes up quite often with patients. Mm-hmm. A, a huge problem when you're not using pharmaceutical grade products, I guess, right? That's where the real issue is. Right, exactly. But then what happened with Charlotte? Because it worked for her. And then right. how, how does her story end or does it not end? She did do well for several years. And, you know, unfortunately, she passed away in April 2020, do, believed to be due to complications of COVID-19, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So quite sad for her and her family. And it's really nice if you go online and look at some of the tributes to her, especially from Sanjay Gupta on CNN. Her and her family really changed and made a difference, you know, by looking into this product. So it is it is definitely a positive story overall, but very sad that she passed away this year. Again, thought to be due to complications from COVID. Okay, but her, her um, seizures had stopped all these years? This, she was uh, my understanding is they had reduced. I don't know if they uh, went to zero, okay. uh, 100%, but definitely were much better than they were before. Now, one of the other things to keep in mind is, and this is difficult, especially with all types of cannabis, including the one that's made by GW Pharma is we don't know the long-term side effects. So a lot of families would come to me and say, well, we want to try this because it's natural. I'm like, it's true, but if it's still a, a drug, it's still something that's acting on your nervous system, right? And if I told you we have a brand new drug, but we don't know the effects it will have long-term and we don't know the effects it will have on a developing brain, it's a lot different if you're taking it as an adult versus if you're taking it as a child. And we don't we don't know the long-term effects. If I had a, a new drug, not cannabis, a new drug, and I said, yeah, I don't know any of the long-term safety data, but I want to prescribe this for your child, no family would agree to that. They would say, there's no way we're doing that. My kid's not a guinea pig. That's completely inappropriate. Yet we're doing this with cannabis and we don't know the long-term side effects. And, uh, you know, and that's the problem is not, not knowing it. And there are some studies, if you look at them, where they look at chronic cannabis users. So not just CBD, we're talking chronic cannabis users. And there are reduced volumes in some parts of the brain over time. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, if you see that in adults... What does that mean for kids whose brains are developing up until their early 20s? Kids' brains are developing. I know you said anecdotal is not evidence, but I will say that the guys I know that started smoking weed in their early teens, a lot of them, overwhelming majority, things aren't right up top. That's a really good point. And so that is actually not just an anecdote, but it's been shown in studies. Yes. Cannabis cannabis use below age 17 has been associated with lower educational attainment and increased use of other drugs. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Another thing we talked about, we talked about a lot of things today. Anecdotes aren't evidence. And the, another thing to remember, as we, you've probably heard lots of people in medicine and other fields say, is correlation is not causation. It doesn't necessarily mean that the cannabis use caused them to be have lower educational attainment and drug use. It could be they were predisposed to lower social edu- edu- uh, mm-hmm. educational attainment, and that type of person may be more likely to use cannabis. The other thing that we get really worried about is there's been a substantial body of evidence that suggests that chronic cannabis use, especially during adolescence, is associated with a later development of psychosis, first-onset psychosis, or schizophrenia. That's pretty well established. Again, I'm not saying it's causative, but I do caution my patients who are using cannabis, either if they want to use it for seizures or they're using it recreationally, that there is this association with schizophrenia. So if they have a family history of schizophrenia, I'd be very cautious about that. The other thing you would ask about is what about other things? What about cancer? What about everything else that people are talking about? Lots of people want to use it for anxiety. and Maybe that's some of your comedian friends. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the other things that have scientific evidence for using cannabis for, and we're not just saying CBD, we're saying cannabis. Nausea and vomiting in chemotherapy patients is one. Some suggestion about chronic pain in cancer patients, maybe some chronic pain in other people, and what's called spasticity or or this kind of muscle tightness patients get, and it's been studied in multiple sclerosis, and it's been shown that it it helps. Really, for everything else that people want to use it for, there's not enough scientific evidence to make any big claims. Right. And so what you're seeing with your friends, and what we see too is, is people think it's a panacea and they want to use it for everything, but we don't have enough scientific evidence to know whether it works for everybody or not. So that's kind of the limitation that we're in right now. Oh, that's a great answer to my original question was how can it be controlling epilepsy, also shutting the noise out, also reversing cancers? And the answer is we don't know if if it is yet, right? There just hasn't been enough long-term trials basically. Yeah, we, de- we definitely need to know. And then the other thing that comes up is, as you said, people are just, I, I want to take it for this. I want to take it for this. Again, if you're an adult, especially if you're in a place like Canada where it's legal and many U.S. states where it is legal, that's not an issue. If you're an adult and you want to try it, that's probably fine. It's probably good to have a conversation with your doctor. As we talked about, mutual decision-making is a good idea. What I get concerned about is when I hear stories of, adults just giving it to their kids. And they say, well, no, no, where we live, it's legal. I mean, it's legal for adults. It's not legal for kids to be giving it. It's actually against the law. It's like giving your child alcohol. Like that's not allowed. You can't do that. And so I think there needs to be a bit of education about just because it's legal and it's used for medicinal purposes doesn't mean that you could just start giving it out to, to kids. You know, again, you have to get a prescription for medications. You'd have to get a prescription for this as well. There was a lot <laughs> those first few months in Canada when it got legalized, people are like showing up high to work and stuff. It's legal now. Yeah, but dumb, dumb. Drinking six beers is legal too. That doesn't mean you should be doing my accounting half in the bag, right? So yeah, it's it, but it's just funny, like legal just meant free for all. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want. Nobody can tell me. No, we didn't say it's anarchy. We just were not, (laughs) we're not putting you in prison for small amounts of marijuana anymore. (music) 
So, everyone, that's our show for today. Ali, do you have anything you want to plug? I'll plug something. I'll plug a couple of things. Right? I have a book coming out. My book comes out in October. It is called Is There Bacon in Heaven with, uh, with Simon Schuster riding by my side. That'll be, a, that'll be a fun time. Probably get some hate mail from uh, very religious people. And, uh, and, you know, otherwise people will be very entertained. I also do another podcast. Are you comfortable with me talking about my other podcast? I Does that would feel like- love you to. Okay. As long as you don't feel like you're being cheated on. I also do a <laughs> podcast with my great buddy, uh, Marco Timpano. And it is a, it's a podcast called Eat and Drink. He was a bartender and a front of house guy for many years. I was a chef for many years. So he gives you a recipe for a cocktail. I give you some food tips and recipes. Then we do something called What's in Marco's Mouth. You, you got to be there to enjoy that. And we do it all uh, every week. And it's called Podcast Eat and Drink. So everyone, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a five-star rating and ah! review. We would really appreciate that. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. V Comedian, even though Ellie hates Twitter. I do hate Twitter, uh, but mostly I'm like, they're going to put in the VS. They're going to put the Dr. Versus Comedian, and then they're going to be confused. Poor guys. Dr. V Comedian. It's up there. We're starting to enjoy our lives, and, uh, and, and I hope you come on this journey with us. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.